How many of you have ever been lost? Recently, I was in downtown Dallas, and I used to work in downtown Dallas years ago, and um, I was going to go where I thought a store was. This was at night, and I was walking. And so I come up, and I, I look up on my phone, and I find where I want to go, and I go, and I turn this corner, and all of a sudden, the street number names changed. I don't know how they did it. They just changed. What I expected to see there was not what I saw there. And instead of roads going north and south, and instead of just one intersection where you got one road and another, two roads, there were six roads that converged in this intersection, and I was completely blown away, not ready for that. And I stood there going, what do I do? And I looked at my phone, and it was absolutely no help whatsoever. And so I turned the direction I thought that I was going to go. I should go, and, and I walked a little bit. And all of a sudden, I come back. I'm exactly in the same spot. And I said, this stinks. And so then I thought, okay, I'll go this way. And I went another direction. And before I knew it, I was in this dark section of town. No cars. Me and one other dude walking the other way. He had a hood over, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. Nobody's even going to hear my cry for help because I'm in such a secluded area. And so I started saying, um, Lord, I'm stupid. And, and can you help me? And so I eventually got where I needed to go. And, uh, and here's the thing about it. I didn't realize that I was getting lost. I realized it when I was lost, right? If you've ever been lost, you don't usually realize it when you're getting lost. You have this sudden realization that you are lost. And, and, you know, even men can admit when they're lost, they may not admit it at first, but they know when they're lost. And eventually they might say, look up and say, you know, I'm not where I thought I should be. And I'm not real sure how to get where I want to be. What, what, what are you if you're not where you want to be and you're not sure how to get where you, you are? Lost. Okay, thank you. Um, there can be a whole lot of reasons for getting lost. Several different reasons. One may be a bad map. One time I dropped Janie off. Um, the church has an accountant in, in Mesquite because she's familiar with the software that we use. We use Power Church, and so you have to go to the right type of accountant, somebody who's familiar with that. So I dropped Janie off in Mesquite, and I popped up on my GPS, and GPS is always accurate, right? I needed to go to Walmart, and so I pop up on my GPS, and it says to go this way. So my first clue that I was going to be in trouble was when I turned down this little residential street. I mean, the big loop around Dallas is right there, and this has me turn right, and so I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be end up badly. I, 20 minutes, I'm going up and down little bitty roads, sometimes one-way roads, and I'd have to go the other direction. I finally come out on this big road, kind of looks like a business district of town, and it says, turn left, and you're one mile. So I turn left, and I go, and then I come into this parking lot. There's this massive building that's falling apart, and there's absolutely nothing in it. And Tom Tom says, you have reached your destination. And I'm like, you sorry, sucker. No, I have not. And, you know, and I finally found another one. But you can have a bad map because the problem with GPS is that if you don't have a current map, it may lead you someplace where it thinks there still is a Walmart or wherever you're trying to go. Another reason that you can get lost is maybe you have a good map, but you don't follow it correctly. I'm amazed when people can't find our church. Now, I'm not talking about ordinary folks because if anybody has lived here, we just say the old skatering. Oh, yeah, the old skatering. No problem. Delivery people, every time, when we've had chairs delivered, anything we've had delivered to our church, people will call and they say, where's your church? 2320 State Highway 55 North. And then I'll say, okay, write this down. I need to hear you typing. It's one, mile, one half mile outside the city limits. You go up the hill towards Tyler. It's on the right next to Trinity Diesel. Real big Trinity Diesel. You'll see the sign. Do not, I always say this, do not follow GPS. Because if you follow GPS, it will take you to Greenbrier Nursing Home. It's the strangest phenomenon I've ever seen. 
Every time, every time, phone call. Where are you? I'm like, I'm at the church. Where are you? Greenbrier Nursing Home. And I said, remember? And I said, never mind. Okay, go half a mile. Go towards Tyler, half a mile on the right. So these people never, never follow our directions when we tell them how to get to New Life. Now, there's another, um, there's another reason that you may um, get lost, and that's because you get distracted. Nobody's ever done that, right? You're driving somewhere, you're talking or texting, and you just go right past where you're supposed to be, right? Anybody ever done that? So there's a bunch of reasons to get lost. And here's the thing. No matter which of those reasons that, that we get lost from, we usually start out knowing where we are, right? If I were to tell you to go meet me somewhere today, you're starting out right after church knowing where you are, correct? Anybody not know where you are? Maybe we need to get you some help. Okay, all right, you start out knowing where you are, and you're fairly confident most of the time that you can get where you need to be. So here's the first deal on your listening guide. Evidently, confidence is no assurance against getting lost, right? How many of you said, I'm going to get lost today? I am planning to get horribly lost so that I waste all my... Nobody does that. You have every confidence that you can get where you want to go. You're confident that you won't get off track. So confidence is not enough to keep you from getting lost. Second thing is, you can get lost in any area of your life. Some folks have gotten lost morally. I was in youth ministry for 19 years, and and I was amazed. Over and over, kids would come into my office, and they would start telling me their story. Now, if they were morally pure, which means they hadn't had sex, or they hadn't gone uh, how far is too far, that was the number one question that I always got, how far is too far. And if they hadn't crossed that line, then, then they had a tough time in the love area. I'd tell Janie, I said, it would go in cycles. Because, you know, there would be a week where every day two or three kids would come in and say, I'd say, what's wrong? Oh, I'm having a problem with my boyfriend. I'm like, I, I can fix this for you. Break up, you know. This is real easy. Only one girl ever took my advice. It's the most awesome thing ever. Because she's like, I just don't know. And I'm like, break up. And so she walked from me to the dude who was in the youth room and said, I got to break up and came back. She goes, I did it. Man, I feel good. And I said, you're the only one who's ever followed my advice. And woohoo, it's so much easier. But anyway, they would come in and they would share their hearts. Oh, and then here's the deal. If they had messed up morally, if they had started having sex, they get in this vicious cycle of they, they want to be pure and then they fall to sexual temptation. They want to be pure and they fall to sexual temptation. It just happens over and over. And, and they say, I don't know how I got here. And I sure don't know how to get back to God. Can you help me? So it's, it's possible to get lost morally. Um, it's possible to get lost professionally. Uh, I remember going to college and, and I only did two majors. I started out in one major and quickly changed to another major. And, and so I got this good major. You know, everybody I knew got into their major at some point. My, one of my friends, it took him 10 years to do a four-year degree because he kept changing majors, but that's another story. Um, but everybody picks a major and then they get a job out of college and they're thinking, man, I am on the path to success. And then I can't tell you how often, 10 years down the road, 10 or 12 years in, they say, how did I get here? And, and how do I get out of this professionally? Um, it's, it's possible to get lost um, relationally. Some folks do the same thing over and over again. Same mistakes in dating. They, they pick the wrong people from the wrong places and they wonder why it always ends up badly. It's, it's possible to get lost in your marriage, to wake up 10, 12 years, 15 years into the marriage, look in the mirror and go, I don't even know who I am. Or to look at your spouse and go, I don't know who that is. And then to say, man, I'm lost. And, and I don't know how I got here and I don't know how to get out. 
And it's also possible to get lost spiritually. We used to go to youth camp every year, and kids would come back on this just incredible spiritual high that would last 21 to 30 days. They, they couldn't understand that when they went to camp, they got rid of all the distractions. And all of a sudden, you do that, you can hear God very clearly. Get fired up. Oh, I'm going to live for God. And they go back and they start putting those same distractions in their lives. And all of a sudden, a month later, six months later, they're very far from God. They don't know how they got there. And they sure don't know how to get back to God. So it's possible to get lost in any area of life. But did you know the number one reason that, that or the number one area that I see people get lost in is finances? Over half of Americans are lost financially. And, and people get funny when you talk about money. And, and so just hang on a minute. Let, let me finish and then you can make all the judgments you want to. People are under a huge amount of stress financially. And they don't know how to get out. And, and if you think about it, finance is the one area that, that should be the easiest area not to get lost in. Because... Most of us, you got a certain amount coming in, and that's pretty pretty finite. You don't have an infinite amount of money. You know, it doesn't grow on trees, so you got this much going in, and you tell that money where to go. So if you're lost financially, whose fault is it? Yours, because you're not paying a, a lot of attention. It, it, this isn't rocket science, but but let me let me let you in on a little secret. Our finances are kind of foggy. And the amazing thing to me is, it doesn't matter how much money you have. People still are lost financially. The guy who makes $400,000 a year but spends $425,000 a year and is paying the mortgage on a $500,000 house does not feel as free as the woman who makes $50,000 a year but lives on $40,000 a year and has no debt. She's free. He's not. She's wise. He's not. So let's just, let's just take a little quiz. You, know, you have a money motivation quiz. That's for later. And that's just for you. It's really an interesting thing. It'll give you your personality, how you view money. And it's, it's a very helpful thing if you're going to try to get unlost financially. But let me just put some statements up on the screen and let's figure out whether you are lost or not. If you've ever asked, where did the money go? You're lost. If you spend more money than you make in a year, you're lost. If you don't know whether you spend more money than you make in a year, you are lost. If you don't care that you might be spending more money than you make in a year, you're lost. Thank you. If you owe more on your car than your car is worth, you're lost. Now, that, nobody plans to do that. Let's go buy a car that I'll owe twice as much on it when I drive off the parking lot than, than, I, than it's worth. You know, Nobody planned that. Next thing, if you don't know how much you owe on your car, you're lost. If you are paying the minimum monthly payment on your credit card... I got news for you. You're lost. If you are, wait, if you, if paying the monthly minimum on your credit card is a way of life, or how about this one? If you think paying the minimum on your credit card is good financial planning, then you're lost. And see, that could be part of the bad roadmap thing because our society says max out your credit cards. And if you're making the monthly minimum payment, you're good. Let me tell you something. An average American has about $10,000 in credit card debt. If you make the average, if all you do is pay the monthly minimum, it'll take you about 37 years to pay off that $10,000 and you'll pay about $25,000 total for your $10,000 purchase. And most of us won't have anything left over after that 37 years. Where'd the money go? You're lost. Okay. Um, 
If you don't know how much you owe on your credit card, you're lost. If you aren't sure you're saving enough money, you're lost. If the only money you are saving is being taken out of, taken out of your paycheck, you're lost. If you have no method of tracking where your money goes, you're lost. If you make financial decisions hoping that your spouse will never find out, you're lost. If you make financial decisions hoping the IRS never finds out, you are lost and about to, about to be found in jail. But uh, anyway... If you have a financial dream for the future, but no plan to get there, then you're lost. Now, I know we got a lot of young folks here today. Now, I'm 48, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to 50. And, you know, 25 was a big birthday for me because I remember thinking, 25, that's a quarter of a century. And, and I wasn't married. My mom was thinking I was never going to get married, you know, that type of deal. So 25, I was like, dude, I'm a quarter of a century old, and I got no prospects of being married, you know, that type of deal. And that was a big one. 30 wasn't a big deal to me. I was married and had my first kid at, at 30, and 35, you know, all that. I no longer look at, at what number is coming up on my next birthday. That's not, that's not what I think about. I think about how much time do I have left, Right? And, and I want to make the most of that time. So you may not be there, but you'll get there one of these days. If you're not sure how to get, how you got where you are and you're not sure how to get out, you're lost. If you make financial decisions by asking the following questions, can I afford it? You're lost. What, what will the monthly payment be? You're lost. How much can I borrow? You're lost. Is it on sale? You're lost. How much uh, available equity do I have in my house? Oh my goodness, don't go there. Is it cheaper to lease? Here's the deal. If you're asking those questions before you make the financial decisions, you're asking the wrong questions. And, and if you ask the wrong people the wrong questions, you get what? Wrong answers. The right question should be, instead of can I afford it, should I afford it? And, and there needs to be some basis that you apply that to. Um, instead of can I lease it, should I lease it? Instead of can I borrow it, we should ask should I borrow it? We should ask what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, some of you are getting very uncomfortable. I see you kind of squirming in your chairs. And some of you are thinking, why is Doug talking about this? And I know we got guests here today, and, and some guests are going, ooh, I am never coming back to this church again. Now, here's the deal, and, and I'm being totally honest, and I want you to hear me out on this whole thing before you make up your mind today. If you're feeling uncomfortable, then, then you can be mad at me today, and when you go to lunch, you know, I'll even give you permission out here to have roast pastor for lunch, you know, and talk about how, how, how dare he say those things. I'll give you today, 24 hours, to say, how dare he? But then I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Then I'm going to ask you to, to pray to God and say, God, do I need to hear what this series has to say? Do I need to hear what your word has to say about finances? And listen to what God says. Need you to pray, God, should I come for the rest of the series? Because I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to spend six weeks on this. You're going, oh, dear God. It's, it's not going to be beating you all up. We're going to look at God's word and we're going to look at... Because here's the, here's the thing. God's word tells you how to get out of financial bondage. God's word tells you how to be content. And, and that's something that I want for you as your pastor. So you ask the question... And then you listen to what God has to say. Now, some of you are just going, what's the big deal? Let me give you three big deals why I'm, I'm approaching this. Number one is you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and stay lost financially. You cannot. It is impossible. You can't wholeheartedly follow Christ and, and be lost financially. You can't call Jesus your Lord and not do what Jesus says. And Jesus says way too much about money for us to ignore him. It would be no different than me saying, you know... I love God, but I hate that guy, and I'm never going to forgive him because Jesus said that you can't love God and hate your brother. 
Jesus, the, the, the Bible says you cannot um, love God and hate those, love God whom you have not seen and hate those whom you have seen. The Bible talks about reconciliation, and that's one of the things you're supposed to do. Look at 1 John 4.20. If people say, I love God, but hate their brothers or sisters, they are what? And I'm not, don't get mad at me for this one. This is all God. You know, the Bible's calling you a liar if you say you love God and you hate your brothers or sisters. Um, those who do not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen cannot, cannot love God whom they've never seen. So let me translate this for you. It is impossible to love God and hate another human being. You can't call him Lord if you're not going to do what he says. Neither can you be a fully devoted follower of Christ and be lost financially. Jesus said more about money than he did prayer, um, faith, heaven, and hell combined. In fact, I haven't looked at this, but I think you can take any topic that Jesus ever talked on, combine all of those topics, and he still said more about money than he did all the rest of them. Why do you think that is? Here's one of his statements from the most famous sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six twenty one, Your heart will be where your treasure is. Here's the big deal. Jesus is teaching all these people. Thousands of people are gathered on the mountainside. And right in the middle of this, he, he makes a statement of fact. It's a life principle. And the life principle says this. That your heart, your money, your emotions follow. Your heart follows your money. Your emotions follow where... So if you have stocks, then you're going to follow the stock market. If you have debt, your money is going to go and your heart is going to be there too. And if you're lost financially, your heart is lost too. Now here's, here's the big deal. Luke sixteen thirteen. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the big deal is the opposite of serving God is serving money. Which brings me to... Big deal number two. God knows it's a big deal because, number two, the number one competition for your heart is money. Number one issue that God knew you and I would struggle with is serving and chasing money. So here's a memory verse. If you want a, a verse straight from Scripture, from Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and borrowers are servants to the lenders. Okay, back in our carol series, we talked about um, Away in the Manger. We talked about the little Lord Jesus and how there really is no such thing as a little Lord. And, and you, cannot, um, you cannot say Jesus is Lord and ignore what he says about money. And he says, you're to be his servant, I'm to be his servant. And if, if I'm servant to someone else, then I have a, uh, God's got competition for my heart because I signed a contract with somebody else. If you have debt, you signed a contract with somebody else. Now, let me just say this. Jesus doesn't want or need your money. You're going, good, because he ain't getting any. He wants your heart. Jesus says so much about money, not because he needs it. In fact, did you know Jesus never asked anybody for money? The one time he asked for a coin, he said, let me see a coin. He, he said, whose inscription and whose image is this? It's Caesar's. And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God. And then he gave the coin back. Now, there were ladies who financed his ministry. There were widows who followed him around and they financed his ministry, but Jesus didn't ask for money. He asks for people's hearts. And, and in case you hadn't realized this, money is a spiritual issue. Look at 1 Chronicles twenty nine eleven. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. So how we handle our money and stuff is a spiritual issue because the Bible says everything belongs to God. We don't own it. We just are stewards. A steward is one who manages it. 
So what's the big deal? Here's number three. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Every time you make a decision about money, you give away a little bit of your heart. And I'm not about to suggest that you give all your money to the church. I don't give all my money to the church. And I don't expect you to do that either. But here's what I want you to think about. If you were to lose everything today, and I mean everything, you go home later today and your house is gone and your cars are gone and you find out that something has happened to all of your money, you've lost everything, I'm willing to bet whether you're a Christ follower or not, you'd pray. And you'd say, God, I I need you to be involved in my financial situation. You might even say, God, I surrender everything to you. And God goes, you don't have anything. And you're like, I know, that's why you can have it, God. It's all yours. And, and God might look at you and you go, you know, that, that requires no thought and no sacrifice. Why, why didn't you offer me all of this stuff when, when times were good? And you go, because times were good and I didn't need you. <laughs> God is interested in your heart. He doesn't want your money. And, and here's some things that I want you to think about. The reason I would even tackle this, because people get really mad when you talk about money. And, and let me just say this. Some of, you, some of you question motives. We vote on the budget once a year. We voted on the budget back in, in December. And regardless of how much money comes in, I don't get a raise if we get more money. My salary is set the, at, in December for the whole year. And so the staff members, every, all the salaries are set. Now, I've been in churches where we've had to take a pay cut in the middle of the year, but I've never been at a church where we got a bump in salary in the middle of the year. This is, just don't do that. So it doesn't matter how much money comes into the offering plate. That does not benefit me personally, other than I do get my salary from the church, and we have some others that get their salary from the church. Um, the thing is, a lot of people are called by God to do something, and they can't do something because they're so far in debt. I've known people that were called. They said, I feel called to go on a mission trip, for example, to Haiti. Or I've, I know people that have been called to go other places, and they couldn't because they were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, and they didn't have any money. And not only that, they didn't trust that God, the God who called them to go do something, could also provide for them to go. Those of you who have gone to Haiti, there's a number of people who have gone to Haiti. They've come up to me crying and saying, I want to go, and there's no way I can, I can pay for it. And I say, do you trust God? Well, yeah, but, but not with money. And so I say, here's the deal. If God calls you to go, God will provide. And those who have gone before, they will tell you, God provides in miraculous ways. Now, you don't sit on your rear and hope that, that it comes in. We've had people go out and do different things, like somebody went to uh, Cindy Arnold a couple years ago, went to Lowe's and, and got them. She talked them down on, the, on a grill, and, and they came way down on the price, and then she auctioned that off and raised over half of what Chad needed to go that year. I mean, you do some things and then you watch what God is going to provide. But if you are tied up in debt, you may not be able to do what God wants you to do in the future. And as your pastor, I want you to experience God in your finances. But here's the thing. Most of you, if you had problems in your marriage, you would you would gratefully go to God and say, God, get involved in my marriage. If you have kids, teenagers, you would say, God, I give you my teenagers. Right? Uh huh. Amen. Yeah, right. Um, you would you would. Gladly ask for God to be involved in any area of your life except your money. And I want you to experience what God has for you financially. And, and I can't explain fully God's um, math, but I want you to be free what God calls, 
for what God calls you to do in the future. A lot of people aren't free because they're lost financially. Look at Proverbs 21.20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Here's the principle. Without God, you will devour everything. And it doesn't matter if you have $30,000, $60,000, $90,000. Without God, you will devour it all. In fact, what usually happens, what usually gets us in trouble, is our pay raises are what get us in trouble because we immediately expand our budget to eat up every bit of it. You know that's true, don't you? When you get a pay raise, the first thing you're thinking is, how much more can I get? How much more can I do? I can go to this level of, of service on, on uh, internet or on TV or whatever. It, it expands, and so you immediately start thinking. Very few people I know say, I'm getting extra. Let's save that. The Bible says that wise people save, and they have margin. It says foolish people devour everything. Now, how many of you remember the, I think it was, was it Staples that had the easy button? Right? You know, you get in a tough situation, you hit the... If I had, if I had a contentment button, I'd stick it right down here on the stage and, and here in a second when we start praying, I would say, if you want to know how to be content, I, I invite you to come forward and push the button. And I know some of you would be dragging your spouses down there, push the button, push the button, you know, because they, they're never content. Um, it's not you, it's your spouse. It's always the spouse who's not content. Um, I don't have one of those. But I can tell you God's word will teach you how to be content. Because our, our world is built on discontentment. I mean, ladies, you know, every commercial that comes on about clothes says whatever clothes you have are horrible. Buy these and you'll be happy. Right? Guys, your fishing equipment, your shotgun, your gun, whatever it is, it's not nearly as good as this one. So our whole world is built on this principle of being discontent. So you'll go buy something so you'll be content. And and what they don't tell you is you're never content when you buy stuff. The Bible says if you'll follow these principles, these steps, you can learn to be content. And, And what happens all the time, I know way too many people who are on the edge of a financial cliff. And they're worried that if something happens to a job or something happens, you know, some unexpected thing. Like it's unexpected that your refrigerator should go out. You think it's going to last forever? Oh, dear God, heal thy refrigerator. You know, because in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, when they were wandering around, when they, when they didn't get to go in the promised land, they wandered around for 40 years, and God made sure their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. I've not got any clothes. My dad does. I don't have any clothes from 40 years ago. My dad still has them and wears them, and I don't know how that works. Maybe he was in the Old Testament. I don't know. Um, people have these things happen to them, and they're like, oh, no, I'm going over the cliff. Do you know how to get off the cliff? Okay, how you do that? Well, we're going to start a, a series. We're going to do a Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey. It's shortened now. It's only nine weeks, and we're going to start that in February. The first thing you'll learn in Financial Peace University, because most of us don't have peace there, the first thing you'll learn is to set up an emergency fund. And here's the amazing thing. Janie and I did this five years ago. We had about 50 people in our church who went through Financial Peace uh, several years ago. And the first thing it says is get $1,000 in your emergency fund. The crazy thing is, when you get $1,000 in your emergency fund, you step back off the cliff, 
the, the refrigerator goes out and you don't have to buy the $8 million one. You can get one for less than 1000 Maybe not what you want, but you can get one. And it's this amazing thing. When I'm back here, I don't feel like I'm falling over the cliff. Now Janie and I have a much bigger emergency fund. And so we're, we're back here and the cliff's over there. And, and so when something happens, the first thing Janie does when something happens, she goes, and I go, baby, we got an emergency fund. She goes, oh, yeah. And she immediately just breathes. And, and it's this amazing thing that she, she no longer feels like we're going over the cliff. So you take a step back and God's word will show you how to do that. And it's amazing how much clearer you think when you have a few steps between you and financial ruin. The Bible teaches that. And if you'll hang with me over six weeks, we'll walk you through this whole process. How to discover God's perspective on things, how to get the right roadmap, how to do some things. And then in, in February, we're going to start Financial Peace University. And, and here's the thing. It costs $90 for the, for the membership kit. And some people, every time people go, $90? I don't have that. Janie and I, when we did this, we didn't have 90 extra dollars, but we scraped up, we found it, we did this. In the first four months, we saved $1,000 in our emergency fund and paid off about $2,000 in debt because we learned the right steps that you're supposed to take. And after four months, we were like, that was the best $90 that we ever paid. Now, if, if the $90 would keep you from doing Financial Peace University, we will find somebody to sponsor you. That's not a problem. We've had folks do that in the past. But here's what I'm going to ask. If you take a scholarship and you go through Financial Peace University and you follow those steps and you move back from the cliff when you finish, I'm going to ask you to pay it forward for somebody else. And you give a scholarship so that somebody else who was in your position can learn what it means to be at peace financially. Does that make sense? Dave Ramsey, the guy who does this, he was, he was a millionaire in his 20s, lost it all because he was stupid. And he'll tell you, he was stupid. He rebuilt his whole financial empire on God's word and he spends the rest, he's, he's spending his time now teaching Christ followers how to move away from the cliff. And he says this, this, I love this phrase. He said, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt free? Oh my soul. Um, sometime in the near future, uh, the pastor from, from Haiti, Pastor Sampson and Fritz are going to be here again. They came last year. And I was talking to Fritz last night on the phone, and he said, Fritz is one of the nicest guys. Man, you can't be around him. You can't even talk to him on the phone without smiling. He's just one of the nicest guys. And he said, he said, my brother in Christ, he said, I want to ask a favor from you and your church. He said, when we go back to Haiti, what they desperately need are laptops. And he said, what I want to do is I want to ask your church to give old laptops, the ones that are in the corner, the ones that are this big, you know, like a suitcase that you carry. He said, if they will give those, I will repair them at my own cost and I'll take them to the children in Haiti. And that will in, in, enhance their education. I mean, I don't know how many of us have laptops laying around that we no longer use. And it would be a huge gift to a youngster in, in uh, Haiti. I mean, how, how, how little sacrifice does that require? So what could we do as a church for the kingdom of God if we were debt-free? Janie and I have about five years left on, a little less than five years left on our house payment. So by the time I'm 53, we will be 
completely debt-free. I'm calling Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you've heard this Fridays or debt-free Fridays. And you call in and, and you tell your story and how much you paid off and all that stuff. And then he, you count down. One, two, three. We're debt-free. And he plays the thing from um, Braveheart. You know, where he goes, freedom! I cannot wait to do that. And Janie and I are going to scream at the top of our lungs. And, and we're going to do this little happy dance because we have no debt and we are completely free. The Bible doesn't say not to go into debt. But it says don't go into debt for things that decrease in value instead of increase in value. And really about the only thing that, that increases in value is, is your house. Hopefully. Hopefully it will increase in value. Right? So... If we follow God's principles, we can move away from the cliff and we can experience peace. Would you bow your heads for a minute? Each week, I'm going to give you just a little bit of homework. And this week, the real easy thing is that money motivation quiz. This is about you. There's no right or wrong answers. It it will show you your personality about money. And if you discover your idea, the way you look at money, it will help you step back from the cliff. Next week, I'm going to give you a lost ledger sheet, and it's just going to be this real simple budget because a lot of people don't know where their money's going. And so I'm going to ask you to just do one or two things each week to learn how to be uh, filled with peace when it comes to your finances and get unlost. The question is, are you going to be one of those people who ignores God's word? Or are you going to be one of those people who implements God's word? Father, I just pray that you make a huge difference in the lives of our people. And God, that you'll just remind us all that you're not, you don't need our money. You already own it all. What you want is our heart and money is a huge indication of where our hearts are. And God, I think through the years of of people who have sacrificed for this church and your kingdom, single moms who, who gave Ten dollars a week. And I think that made you happier than people who were very wealthy who gave a hundred dollars a week. Because you had her heart. God, it's my prayer that that New Life Community Church would be a, a group of people whose hearts are fully committed to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.